Today's episode of The Term is brought to you by Quimby. Are you ready to take something off your plate? Finish your continuing legal education today with Quimby. Quimby CLE courses are entertaining, on demand, and truly anything but boring. Now through the end of January 2021, head to quimby.com/cle and get 5% off your purchase with code CLE360. Happy studying. Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court here in Washington, and joining me from New York is Natalie Rodriguez. How are you today, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty good, pretty good, ready, and waiting for the big snowstorm to hit. Are you all stocked up? I am. Uh, I'm personally ready to ride this out uh, at home, but uh, my kid has other plans and wants to go build a snowman at some point, so I might have to venture out. We'll see. I got to say, I am a little jealous because I think here in D.C. we're like a little far south of the outer bands of this uh, storm. But you guys are like smack dab. So you're going to get you're going to get hit. See, personally, I think I'd like to trade places with you. (laughs) I I don't really want to deal with the snow post, uh, you know, it getting slushy and ugly and just messy. So fair enough. But I am super excited because this is our last episode of 2020. Woohoo. <laughs> uh, I think fair to say we're looking forward to, you know, turning the chapter on this one. Uh, and we have a special episode for all listeners uh, looking back at the Trump administration's relationship with the Supreme Court, which I think is fair to say the biggest story of this year and frankly, probably his last four years. I think so. I mean, there. There were so many highs, so many lows for the Trump administration in its uh, four years um, litigating cases before the Supreme Court. There were a lot of surprise defeats by the Trump administration um, before what is arguably the most conservative Supreme Court that we've had in years. Um, Also, there were some huge victories that we'll be talking about. Um, But I think more so than anything, it was just a completely new relationship between a White House and administration and the Supreme Court than we've seen in the past. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I I have to agree with you on that. You know, I think I've been most struck just by how he has approached the court in ways that we've never really seen in other administrations. Um, Everything from just the vast number of requests for emergency rulings to how he's, you know, publicly spoken towards the court and to individual justices on on various platform social media platforms and and in the press um you know i i think it's just been something that could have some ramifications for for the future in terms of setting a precedent for for how a president approaches the court exactly and to kind of help us today as we take stock of the last four years and some of the things that we saw um, with the Trump administration and the Supreme Court, we're going to have a special guest on, Professor Stephen Vladek. He is, you know, or I should say he was one of the most prolific and prominent uh, Supreme Court commentators over the last four years during the Trump administration and has weighed in on a lot of these topics that we're talking about. Um, But before we get to Vladek's interview, Natalie, I just wanted to kind of pose to you what you thought was kind of the biggest story um, of the last four years when it came to the Trump administration and the Supreme Court? 
I think it has to be how he reshaped the court with three justice appointments. I mean, how many presidents can you say that have gotten that chance to really, you know, put such a stamp on the court that will last for decades after he's gone? Right. And in just less than one term, which is kind of the remarkable thing about it when you consider that over eight years, uh, President Barack Obama only had two uh, Supreme Court appointments. And these were not only, you know, life tenured uh, appointments to the Supreme Court, they they were very significant in how they altered the balance of the court. And that's something that uh, Professor Vladek is going to get into a little bit more in our conversation. But um, I think you're absolutely right that the big story of the Trump administration when it came to the Supreme Court were these three very bitterly fought over confirmations that we saw. Each of them posed their own kind of uh, political baggage, whether it was you know, the uh, the Neil Gorsuch uh, nomination coming on the heels of what was essentially a historic block blockade of President Obama's nominee to the Scalia seat, Merrick Garland. You know, obviously, I don't need to remind listeners of, you know, the circumstances surrounding Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation of the court where there were allegations of, you know, sexual assault against the nominee from the early 1980s. And then finally, you know, a lot of progressives and Democrats had accused the Republicans of a bit of hypocrisy when it came to forcing through Justice Barrett in the, you know, the final weeks before the election. And um, what after, was the fastest confirmation uh, of a justice ever? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. Is it ever or is it recent in modern years? history? I guess in it's modern history, fair to say. It yeah. certainly, certainly seems to be the case. And a lot of that ties back to you know what Trump's open aims were, which was to have you know Barrett on the court to resolve a potential. Election dispute in his favor, that was what he was saying. Obviously, the court um, did not oblige. Uh, Justice Barrett did not sign her name to anything that would suggest she was sympathetic to the Republican claims of voter fraud or anything like that. Um, So that pretty much serves as a bit of a bookend to what has been such a rocky and contentious relationship over the last four years. And of course, though, there are the cases. Uh, Right. (laughs) Both the wins and and the losses uh, that have come from the Trump administration. Any any standout to you, Jimmy? I think I would just mention the two cases that come immediately to mind, and those involve controversial uh, policies from the Trump administration that were meant to kind of affect um, immigrants in this country. And the first having to do with uh, the Trump administration's efforts to include a question about citizenship on the 2020 census. And the second had to do with uh, President Trump's efforts to rescind the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals programs. Both of these were fiercely contested um, by Democratic states um, who sued the Trump administration in court to block these initiatives. And in in these two rulings, um, the census case from 2019, the DACA ruling from uh, earlier this year, the Supreme Court blocked the Trump administration's efforts to do both of these things on what was essentially the same grounds, uh, being that they hadn't adequately explained their the reasoning behind their decisions. And I don't want to get too in, into the weeds here because I know we're going to be talking about this a little bit with Steve later on. Um, but it just kind of drove home the interplay between you know the policy aims coming from you know president trump and his political base um and how it interacted with his administration and how the administration was a little bit um it's had its hands a little bit tied because of this kind of uh executive order by twitter uh phenomenon that we've experienced over the past four years where you know uh the administration was kind of scrambling to 
come up with these justifications for policies that Trump really wanted in, at times when they didn't have the legal justification or didn't dot the I's and cross the T's as they should have. Um, and that's something that Chief Justice John Roberts in both of those cases uh, really took uh, Trump to task for. I think he called the citizenship question contrived. He said that they had come up with contrived reasons to do that. And in the DACA case, um, he called that decision arbitrary and capricious. So those were the two that really stood out to me because they didn't really have so much to do with the legal authority of Trump to do them, but essentially how he did them. Yeah, who would have thought 280 characters is not the best way uh, to really make public policy? Uh, Certainly, it's a lesson I hope future administrations uh, keep in mind. I think that's probably wise. (laughs) So with all that in mind, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be speaking with uh, Professor Stephen Vladek to further unpack just uh, everything that's happened with the court and with Trump. Once again, today's show is sponsored by Quimby. Quimby helps you finish your continuing legal education in a way that's entertaining, on demand, and anything but boring. Now through the end of January 2021, head to quimby.com CLE, and you can get 5% off your purchase by entering the code CLE360. Happy studying. To help us make sense of the Trump era at the Supreme Court, we are now joined by Stephen Vladek. Uh, Steve is a law professor at the University of Texas at Austin School of Law and has argued numerous times before the justices. He is also CNN's Supreme Court commentator. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you. So let's just give an update on the status of the election. On Friday, the Supreme Court rejected Texas's attempt to overturn the election results in four key states, kind of clearing Joe Biden's path to the White House. So let me just ask you, Steve, is this thing over? Um, I mean, it's over legally. I think, you know, we're still going to have lots of noise about alternate slates of electors appointed by, you know, who knows who. Um, I think there's going to be discussion about, you know, maneuvering in Congress on January 6th when the joint session meets to count the electoral votes. I don't doubt that there will be at least a couple of efforts by Republicans to challenge some of the electors. But, you know, the way that the Electoral Count Act of 1887 sets up, um, unless both houses are going to agree on one of those challenges, I just don't see them going anywhere. So it's over in the sense that, like, there's no meaningful prospect of anything stopping the inauguration of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris right now. Um, The the sort of the noise and the conspiracy theorizing and – um, the disappointing efforts of Republicans to try to sort of perpetuate this nonsense, I think, are not over. So it sounds like the ink is drying, if not already dry, um, <laughs> in which case I'll just ask us to kind of look back on the past four years. It's kind of a, a big topic. Obviously, we've been glued to our screens uh, since the beginning of the Trump presidency. But I just wanted to ask, you know, what was President Donald Trump's view of the court? What was his relationship with the court like? And and how was that different from past presidents? Just to kind of like step back and take a breath. Well, I mean, I think he made his view of the court very clear Friday night um, after it ruled against Texas uh, in the in the last ditch, you know, election Hail Mary case that that the court is simply means to an end for him that um, appointing justices was a huge part of how he got elected. Um, right. And sort of the the fight over Justice Scalia seat back in 2016, um, that following the you know suggestions of folks like the Federal Society for whom to appoint was a big part of how I think he kept this coalition together for a good chunk of his presidency. Um, and, you know, I think the, the real legacy is going to be that, 
he was incredibly successful in reshaping the court in a way that actually didn't end up helping him that much, um, right? That it helped him in the short term politically, um, but that in the long term, his particular record as a president in the Supreme Court is going to go down as pretty mediocre, um, even though I think everyone's going to agree, for better or for worse, that his legacy as a president is going to be, you know, a Supreme Court that has uh, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett on it for a long time to come. Steve, in addition to what you mentioned about his his work reshaping the courts, um, President Trump was also really the first to attack judges and to take just such a vocal stance against the court while in that position as president. Do you think that legacy of his, that precedent he set, will live on um, possibly in future administrations? I think only as what not to do. I mean, I, I think there was no scenario in which the president's attacks on the federal judiciary in general and the court in particular actually helped him accomplish anything. Um, you know, I think we we were all, I think, rather surprised when Chief Justice Roberts um, late last year spoke up against the president's comments in a very rare and I think very calculated effort. Um, and that was a case where Chief Justice Roberts ended up casting the deciding vote against President Trump. So, you know, I think the reality is that the as, as has so often been true with President Trump, his is an example of what not to do for future presidents, at least with re- regard to public comments on the court. But this is what I think is going to be the hard thing for us to separate going forward is that he was so wildly successful in reshaping the court, even if he was wildly unsuccessful in trying to um, bully the court into doing particular things and appropriating the court as yet a further arm of his political agenda. So President Trump obviously has broken a, a number of norms in the way that he actually talks about not only the Supreme Court, but the federal judiciary writ large. But, you know, the Trump administration, we've seen it in cases and we've seen it in other ways, but it's it's long sought to downplay the legal and policy significance of some of these remarks. But, of course, you've studied the Trump administration for the past four years and it, it their relationship, the, the broader administration's relationship with the Supreme Court has kind of broken some norms as well. Can you talk to a little bit about that and whether the two are related, President Trump at the, at the head breaking norms and potentially the administration? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest norm um, that I think we've seen eroded is is the frequency with which the Solicitor General has gone to the Supreme Court for what we might call emergency or extraordinary relief. Um, that, you know, just as a, as a, as a data point, um, over the Obama and Bush administrations combined, so 16 years of two very different administrations, we had the SG seek emergency relief from the Supreme Court a total of eight times um, and receive it in four cases. That's over 16 years, um, right? As we count down the, the, the weeks on the Trump administration, it's been a total of 37 such requests in less than four years. Um, and the court has largely acquiesced, granting, you know, at least some relief in 22 of them and denying without prejudice in a bunch of the others. Um, I, I think, you know, Jimmy, I think these are related, although indirectly, right, that I think part of what has provoked the uptick in Solicitor General applications has been um, just how poorly the Trump administration has fared in lower courts with regard to so many of its frontline, you know, high visibility policies on immigration law, on environmental law, on things like that, um, while at the same time, how much it succeeded in reshaping the Supreme Court. And so you've got, you know, controversial, legally vulnerable policies that are getting enjoined by lower courts. And you've got a Solicitor General's office that is much more aggressive in asking the friendly or Supreme Court to step in and allow those policies to go into effect 
while the appeals are pending, even though in most of the cases, the Supreme Court is not ultimately upholding these policies. Um, and so I think, you know, it's I don't think it's that like Noel Francisco and now Jeff Wall have sort of appropriated the personality of Donald Trump. Far from it. I think it's that it's symptoms of the same disease um, on both sides, which is the impact Trump has had on the court by naming three justices, right, juxtaposed against the incredibly controversial and oftentimes uh, bad fate of his policies when they've actually been tested in the courts. And, and this is something that obviously you was the subject of your law review article that was published last year, the Solicitor General in the Shadow Docket, that was uh, really interesting. And, and you also talk about, and you've spoken about it today, um, just the, kind of the mixed bag, uh, despite these very aggressive efforts and despite um, you know, President Trump's attempts to influence the court and, you know, having appointed now three justices, his track record at the court is not the greatest. Can you kind of dive into what have some been some of the more surprising outcomes over the last four years? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the the sort of the short version is that the administration has lost cases that any competent administration would have won. Um, and I think the, the two biggest examples of this are um, the census citizenship case right, from 2019, um, and the DACA case from earlier this year, where both times you had Chief Justice John Roberts writing for a 5-4 majority, um, striking down a Trump administration policy, not because the government lacks the power to do the thing it was trying to do, but because they did it so ham-handedly, um, and they did it so sort of poorly. Um, and so I think, you know, there's we've seen this narrative play out in, in low-profile cases as well as high-profile cases, where, you know, lots of stuff the administration has tried to do has been sort of caught up in its own administrative incompetence. Uh, I think there's a there's an NYU study that this administration across the board has won less than 10% um, of a particular class of administrative law cases compared to a usual success rate in the 60s or 70s for prior administrations. So this is, I think, the enigma of trying to um, generalize about the Trump administration and the Supreme Court. They've won some big cases. I mean, the travel ban, you know, I think is, it comes foremost to mind. Um, they've won some smaller cases, um, like the expedited removal case from, from earlier this term, which I think has enormous consequences. But they've lost more than I think even a similarly oriented Republican administration would have, especially with this court, simply by dint of their own incompetence. Um, and so you have this, this really interesting contrast between cases they should have won, cases they have won, and then in the shadow docket context, cases they won just by not losing, um, where you know allowing a policy to go into effect for the better part of two or three years before the Supreme Court could ever ultimately rule on it was enough of a victory where in some cases the court will never rule on it. I mean, we, you know, we're, the court now has on its docket for this current term four or five cases that will probably be moot by the time right. they're argued or at least decided. Um, the, you know, the, the Medicaid work requirement case from Arkansas, um, the border wall, uh, the Remain in Mexico case, all of these things were things that were challenged in the lower courts, and at least a couple of them were allowed to go into effect because of stays from the Supreme Court of lower court injunctions. So it's a really complicated story where I think the bottom line is they've won a lot more than they should have but also lost a lot more than they should have. And that's the enigma of trying to describe all of this in a nutshell. This seems to echo your your comment before about a playbook of what not to do. Uh, um, looking, though, you mentioned the cases that are still working their way through that are probably going to be mute. Are there any cases, though, that you're watching that could have some ramifications long after, you know, the next administration starts? Well, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of litigation. I, well, let me back up. 
Like so many other things, I think a lot is going to depend upon what happens in the Senate runoff in Georgia, um, because how much the Biden administration is able to do with congressional support versus how much it's left to do through executive action, I think is going to depend a lot on whether the Democrats control the Senate or not. So, you know, that's where I think some of the cases from the Trump administration are really going to matter. It will be easy enough for the Biden administration to simply rescind some of the executive branch policies that have sparked controversy. I think it will be harder if there are affirmative measures, say on climate change, um, that the Biden administration tries to, to take forward where they don't have the support of Congress and where, you know, this Supreme Court um, gets to sort of chomp at the bit when it comes to reviving the non-delegation doctrine, when it comes to, you know, limiting the power of the executive to act unilaterally. So, you know, that's where I think it's going to be a really interesting contrast between how much the court tolerated unilateral executive branch action by the Trump administration over the last four years and how skeptical I suspect it will become um, as of January 20th. Right. And that goes to your earlier point about you know, even if he hasn't enjoyed maybe the success that he wanted to, you know, in some of the cases pending before the Supreme Court, there's no denying that this president has has influenced the trajectory of the Supreme Court with these three appointees. And, and I think in that regard, I mean, this is going to sound like a strange comparison, but like we may look back on President Trump, at least with regard to the Supreme Court, much the way that we look at President John Adams, um, where no one remembers a thing about the major legal initiatives of the Adams administration, except maybe the Alien and Sedition Acts, which did not go well. But everyone remembers that Adams, you know, foremost contribution to American history was the appointment of John Marshall as chief justice. Um, And at least his foremost contribution as president, he had plenty of contributions before he was president. Um, And and I think that's where we're going to end up with Trump, which is that, you know, there's going to be a lot of other baggage surrounding his presidency. But when it comes to the Supreme Court, his legacy is not going to be any particular case. It's not going to be any particular procedural shift in how the court does its job. It's going to be the fact that in four very short years, you know, he didn't just get three appointments. He got three transformative appointments. I mean, you know, especially the last two, Kavanaugh for Kennedy and Barrett for Ginsburg. I mean, that's, you know, everyone understands exactly why those have been so important in moving the court to the right. Um, given how long it's likely to take, you know, a President Biden or future presidents to undo that, I think that's going to just completely drown out any, you know, legacy he might have by dint of substantive decisions and/or procedural shifts. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us and kind of walking us through some of the big uh, impacts of the last four years. I really appreciate it, Steve. My pleasure, guys. So I think that wraps us up for twenty twenty. The court is uh, headed to its December recess as well, and so are we. (laughs) And neither us nor the court will be gaveling back until the new year. Yes, we will be leaving 2020 uh, behind us and be speaking to you next from the sunny side of 2021. And I am pretty excited for it. In the meantime, uh, wishing all our listeners a a happy and healthy 2021. We'll, We'll see you then. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Natalie. And thanks to our listeners for sticking with us. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Daniel Smith, and our executive producer, Amber McKinney. Music for the show comes from Slender Beats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law360 in the term. Thanks for listening. And oh, you know what we'd like to see underneath our tree? A review. So please write us one. Thanks so much.